Section twenty three of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume two continued. I own I did not expect to have succeeded so soon, and without Peavey, who had now a feeling in the affair, I certainly should not. I resolved directly to make the best use of the advantage I had gained. I told Peavey that he should be married the next day. He was so transported at the thought that he begged I would give him leave to go to Mrs. Gerard to declare his love and his good fortune together. For, sir, said he, you know she promises to accept of whoever you propose, and I hope she will not despise your choice as much as she thinks she shall. Softly, softly, good Monsieur Peavey your violent hurry will spoil all i do not mean that you shall see her till to-morrow not till to-morrow ah oh, sir do i beseech you sir allow me she will think it very cruel poor peavey thought i thou wilt have enough of her simpleton to him this day's suspense will forward your business more than all you could say to her in seven hours. Is it not enough you are sure of her? We have other things now to mind. What plan of life do you propose to pursue? You know I have promised to do handsomely for you. Sir, said he, I always intended to follow the business I was bred to, and if this piece of extraordinary good fortune had not happened to me, I did purpose, though you have been the best master to me, to have asked your permission to return to my friends in order to settle in my trade, as I have some capital of my own. But to be sure, sir, I shall be directed in this, as in everything else, by your will and pleasure. I approve of your design entirely, said I, but there are certain conditions that must be previously settled between you and me. In the first place, tell me honestly, what is the capital you say you are worth? He answered his father had left him about eight thousand livres, which were in the hands of a banker in Paris, whom he named to me, and referred me to him for confirmation of the truth of what he told me. Well, said I, this will go a good way towards setting you up in your own business. Where do you think of settling? He answered Paris was the best place for his trade. On that I put an absolute negative. I said Paris was too much frequented by my countrymen to be a proper place for Mrs. Gerard to make her appearance in, as she was likely to meet there with more of her acquaintance than might be convenient. I told him I had no objection to any other large provincial town. He said he was born in Dijon and should like to go thither, as he had many friends there. Be it so, said I, what I purpose doing for you is this. Mrs. Gerard has eight hundred pounds of her own. I will add as much more to it, for which I will give you my bond, till I can have the money remitted from England, and this you shall settle on her, that she may be sure of a support in case of your death and the interest you will allow her for her own separate use, but without her knowing that you are tied down to it, that you may have it in your power to oblige her. He made no reply, but acquiesced with a low bow. I laughed at the simplicity of his countenance. 
Peavey, said I, though I have taken great care of Mrs. Gerard's interest, I do not intend to neglect yours, provided you make no demur to the terms. You already know my reasons for proceeding as I have done in this affair. I have great cause to apprehend Mrs. Gerard's vindictive spirit, if she should find means which I know she will endeavour at to lay open the real state of this transaction to some people in England. This might frustrate all that I have been at so much pains to accomplish. Be it your care, then, to prevent it. I cannot wish you to use harsh measures with your wife, but if you have address enough to prevent a correspondence with anyone in England, an elopement for both your sakes I am not willing to suppose, though I think for some time at least you must keep a strict eye over her. If, as I said, you can prevent correspondence, I think it will answer my purpose, and that I may make it your interest to do this, I will bind myself, by as strong an obligation as the law can make, to pay you two hundred pounds a year English, so long as you keep your wife within the bounds prescribed. Provided, if, after three years, I find these terms no longer necessary, they shall, if I then choose it, become void. I shall also add something to enable you to fit up a house and a shop, that you need not be under a necessity of breaking in upon your capital. Peavey's gratitude overflowed at his lips for this, as he called it, noble provision. He said he made no doubt of gaining so far upon Mrs. Gerard's affections as to be able effectually to fulfil his covenant without using violent methods, but said he at all events, I warrant, you shall hear no more of her. Preliminaries thus adjusted, I sent for a notary of reputation, to whom I gave instructions to draw up two separate articles for the purposes mentioned. The latter was to be a secret between Peavey and me, as it was by no means proper for Mrs. Gerard to be let into it. The other, which regarded her own particular settlement, was intended for her perusal and approbation. I charged the notary to use dispatch, and he promised to have both the papers ready by next morning, as also the bond which I was to give Peavey for the payment of eight hundred pounds. The lawyer brought the papers according to his promise, and they were signed, sealed, and delivered in due form. That which was to be the private agreement between Peavey and me was worded in consequence of an article which I drew up myself, and made Peavey sign, wherein I set forth particulars at large. Peavey was very impatient to see his beloved, but a little uneasy lest she should come to know the situation he had been in. I bid not to be discouraged, telling him I should set off that circumstance of his having been my gentleman, for so I chose to call him, in the most favourable light. I presented him with a very elegant suit of clothes, which I had never worn, and which fitted him very well. As you know, he is nearly of my size. You cannot imagine how handsome the fellow looked when he was dressed, for he had linen and everything else suitable to his clothes. I then desired him to wait on his goddess, but he who had been so eager a little before was now quite abashed at the thought of making his pretensions known to the lady, and entreated me to present him to her. 
I saw he was quite disconcerted at the serious scene he was going to engage in. I pitied him and told him I would go with him to Mrs. Gerard, but that it was proper first to prepare her a little. He said he thought so too. I immediately sent for Rachel, and speaking to her at the door without letting her see Peavey, I bid her tell her mistress that I purposed making her a visit in half an hour, and should introduce the gentleman whom I expected she would, according to her promise, receive at my hands for her husband, reserving to herself still the liberty of choosing the other alternative in case she disliked him. Peavey showed the solicitude of a lover after this message was sent to his mistress. "'Poor dear lady,' said he, "'how I pity her! What must she suffer in this interval?' "'But your presence, Monsieur Peavey,' said I, "'will dispel all her fears and make her the happiest of women.' The poor fellow is out of countenance, and I dare say as anxious as Mrs. Gerard. As I received no answer from her to my message, I construed her silence as leave to attend her, and accordingly at the appointed time I entered her apartment, leading Peavey by the hand. She was sitting at a table, leaning her head on one of her hands. She cast a look of scorn at me, and immediately withdrew her eyes, not so much as deigning to glance them at Peavey, little imagining that it was he who accompanied me, though she knew it was her intended bridegroom. Peavey was not able to speak. He trembled, and like a true enamorato ran to her, clapped one knee to the ground, and ventured, though with great diffidence, to take one of her hands. This action obliged the haughty fair one to vouchsafe him a glance of her eye. Her surprise, spite of her assumed airs of grandeur, was not to be concealed. It was apparent. She coloured, and though she intended to have been solemn and lofty, she even stared, and I could discover a little gleam of pleasure dance over her countenance. "'What? Monsieur Pivet?' And then she looked at me, as if for an explanation. "'Yes, madam,' said I. Monsieur Pivet is the man. I was going to say the happy man, but I did not mean to compliment her. My business was to make her think I was doing her a favour. It has been your good fortune to make a conquest of him, and in the hope of your making him a good wife, as I am sure he will make you a good husband, I have consented to the match, and I spoke this in the tone of one who, thinking he has conferred a great obligation on an undeserving object, expects to be thanked for it. The woman, with all her art and assurance to boot, was quite confounded. I did not give her time to recover herself, but taking the settlement out of my pocket and reading it to her, "'Look there, madam, and see if I have injured you in the disposal of your person and your fortune.' Mrs. Gerard, always alert when her interest was in the question, took the paper, and notwithstanding her confusion, read it entirely out. Peavey's handsome appearance, joined to her former prepossessions, had made so good an impression on her that she began to think the matter worth attending to. When she had read the paper, she put it into Peavey's hand. "'Sir,' said she, "'it should appear by this that you have acted generously, but as I have already been imposed upon by that gentleman, looking at me, all this may, for aught I know, be a deceit.' 
but as it is not in my power to make terms for myself, it is to no purpose for me to make objections or to inquire any further. I am ready to accept your offer, only I should be glad to know who the man really is, that I am to make my husband. She spoke this with such an air of disdain that the poor lover, shrunk up and diminished in his own eyes, left me to make an answer. Mrs. Gerard said I, I declare to you solemnly that there is no deception in anything which you see, nor any foul play meant to you. This young man, whom I now present to you for your husband, is well born, and has many genteel relations in this country. He has it in his power, to my certain knowledge, to make good the settlement he proposes for you, which I will take care to see properly secured. That part of it which is your own property you have now in your possession. The other half I know is in his. He was brought up to a creditable business which he intends to follow. I know him to be good-natured and of an obliging temper. He lived with me for some time and accompanied me in my travels. I suppose his having been my gentleman, which station he did not accept through necessity, will not be a material objection. And I smiled and affected to look very proud and I only mention it to convince you that I have no design of deceiving you, or concealing any part of his character. Peeve coloured, for I stole a side-glance at him, and looked sheepish. He began an awkward compliment with a bow, and, I hope, madame, but I relieved him, and speaking to Mrs. Gerard, you know all now, madame, that can be known. Therefore, if you are disposed to keep your word, let us put an end to this business to-day. To-day, sir? Yes, to-day, madam. What occasion is there for farther delay? Peeve now plucked up his courage and begged, since she had consented, that she would not defer his happiness. I told her, between mirth and chiding, that I was in haste to get rid of my charge, and was therefore determined to make her over to Mr. Peeve that evening and telling her I would give orders about the ceremony, left the lovers to make out for themselves a scheme of conjugal felicity. Peeve pleaded his own cause so effectually that in the evening I had the pleasure of bestowing with my own hand the inestimable treasure of virtue and meekness, Mrs. Gerard, on my faithful squire, Monsieur Peeve, to the no small joy of the latter, and I believe if the truth were known, to the no great mortification of the former. Mistress Rachel and myself were the only witnesses of this illustrious union. When the ceremony was over I approached, according to custom, to congratulate and salute the bride, but she turned her saucy cheek to me, and affected the whole night vast dignity of behaviour, yet it was so foreign to her nature that it appeared ridiculous. However, it was better than ranting. I invited them both to sup with me, and treated Peeve with a familiar civility which seemed to please him highly, as it did him credit in the presence of his lady. After supper Peeve entreated me to complete the friendly and generous offices I had already done him by undertaking the settlement of all money matters for him. As he knew I intended to go to Paris, he begged I would receive for him the sum he had in the hands of the banker, which he said if I would remit to him it would enable him to enter upon his business immediately. 
at the same time he with no ill grace presented me my bond again assuring me he relied entirely upon my honour for the execution of my promise to him farther requesting that i would put that together with mrs gerard's money if she approved it into such hands as i should judge most proper for her advantage i was pleased at the openness of his proceedings and promised to do everything for their mutual satisfaction but insisted on his keeping the bond or lodging it in some proper hands till i could redeem it by paying the money which i should take care should be speedily done i told him i thought the sooner he set out for his own province the better he said he should be ready the next day if mrs gerard for he did not yet presume to call her by his own name did not object to it he appealed to her with his looks she had scarce condescended to open her lips before but now answered you may be sure sir i shall not think it too soon to get out of a prison he asked her if she chose to take her maid rachel along with her certainly she said i should not be fond of having a servant about me by whom i could not be understood rachel was now called in and the thing proposed to her she seemed rather inclined to return to england but i told her she could not in gratitude desert her lady in a strange country and that if she had a mind to make me her friend which she should find me upon any future occasion she would attend her home and continue with her till her mistress was willing to part with her the girl upon this consented to stay and received mrs gerard's orders to prepare for their departure the next day in the morning i made pivet a present for his travelling charges and rachel another telling her according to the account i should have of her behaviour that i would be kind to her she made me all the promises that i could desire assuring me that it was purely to oblige me that she had stayed with mrs gerard pivet told me that he would send the sum which his wife had in bills to me to be appropriated in the manner agreed on for he said that having that morning mentioned to her my generosity in relation to the bond she had owned that notwithstanding her resentment to me she had no distrust of my honour in those particulars i took this opportunity of telling pivet that when he could get his wife in the humour he might prevail on her to give an instrument empowering my steward to receive the little income of her jointure at ashby which i would take care should be remitted to him for trifling as it was it might be serviceable when they were ready to set forward on their journey i begged leave to speak a few words to madame pivet by herself she seemed not inclined to the conference but her husband very obligingly pressed her not to part with me in enmity and at the same time quitting the room she was obliged to hear me i then very frankly asked her pardon for the lengths i had gone telling her that i hoped time and her own good sense would convince her that she was more obliged to me than her passion would then give her leave to see remember madam i have kept my word with you you are now married to a very deserving young man you have a competent support during your life happiness is in your power if you do not wilfully cast it away from you show now that greatness of mind of which you have so often boasted 
by forgiving the man who has, as you think, injured you, and resolving at once on a behaviour that shall in your turn entitle you not only to the forgiveness, but even to the esteem of those whom you have injured. I would have preached on and given her more good advice, but she cut me short with this decisive answer. "'Sir, I neither desire your counsel nor your good opinion. Mr. Peavey may deserve some regard from me, but you I never will forgive.' And she flung from me. I called in Peavey, and telling him I was infinitely pleased at the good disposition I found his lady in, wished him all happiness and a safe journey, and they set out directly for Dijon. And now, my dear Bidolf, stop to praise, to admire, to wonder at my virtue. I, who have had one of the finest women in England in my possession for so many days, and, by the way, was not her aversion, to yield up her, by me, unpolluted charms to the arms of another, add to this that it has cost me more to make one woman honest than it need have done to have made half a dozen otherwise. I had liked to have writ a strange ugly word. That was just at the nib of my pen. If you relate your story with the laudable partiality of a friend, judiciously abolishing the context, for which you may have many precedents, and neatly splicing together the useful fragments, shall I not appear to posterity as great as Scipio himself? Ah, Sir George, if we knew the secret springs of many of those actions which dazzle us in the histories of the renowned heroes of old, it is not impossible but the wondrous page might dwindle into as insignificant a tale as mine is. Well, I thank my good genius that has led me safely through such a labyrinth as I had got into. In getting rid of that woman, and not disgracefully either, I feel as if I had shaken off a great load. But what a graceless baggage it is not to thank me for my kindness! I, who have been far more than a father to her in saving her, first from perdition, and then settling her well in the world. But there is no obliging some tempers. I shall leave this place to-morrow, for I must hasten to Paris, to put everything in a good footing for the new-married pair, and then I will go and ramble I do not care whither for another year. I shall lodge at Paris, where I did before, and desire you will write to me directly an account of all that passes within the circle of your family. Let your sister and my Lady Bidolph know in what manner I have disposed of Mrs. Gerard but be sure to do it discreetly, and take care not to mention that paltry circumstance of her settlement, or any other private agreement with Peavey. I know Mrs. Arnold's delicacy would be hurt by the knowledge of this. Therefore beware of dropping the least hint of it at your peril. Tell Lady Bidolph I will pray devoutly for her daughter's happiness. If what I have done will promote it, it will not a little contribute to my own though I begin to feel it is not to be expected in this life, at least by such a hopeless wanderer as I am. I could sit now and indite melancholy verses, or write an elegy, or make my will, or do any other splenetic thing. In short, I have a good mind to turn monk and go into a monastery. 
I am sure I should have Lady Biddulph's vote for that. Adieu, my dear Biddulph, you will not hear from me again, perhaps, till I am in another region. End of section 23